0: We're going to transition into the message now with a quick little video. You guys can check this out. When I hurt my ankle and had to go to the doctor, the doctor asked me about my food, and I said, uh, my ankle's well, but I don't like tea or coffee, so I drink three Dr. Peppers a day. And the doctor said, that will kill you. But about 15 years later, I had to change doctors because he'd already died, and I was still <laughs> drinking three Dr. Peppers a day, and I still do. And if you all want Dr. Pepper, there's plenty in the refrigerator. So that woman is my hero. Uh, uh, as you know, many of you know anyway, that I love Dr. Pepper. It's an amazing beverage. And... Uh, Uh, Some of you guys have been very gracious over the years. I've gotten many bottles and cans of Dr. Pepper as gifts. I've gotten gum, Dr. Pepper gum. I had got some Dr. Pepper chapstick, which didn't do much for my lips, but it tasted great. I was through that thing in about an hour. It was great. I was supposed to eat it, right? Uh, I got uh, a couple of gifts here that I I was given recently. I have uh, Dr. Pepper jelly beans, which I'm excited about diving into these. And then this is pretty cool. I got this 1975 vintage bottle of Dr. Pepper here, and I keep it on my desk next to the pictures of my wife and kids to remind me of all the important things in my life, and uh, funny thing about this is when the realtor was here, and we were talking about selling the building and looking for what's next, uh, she came in, and she walked up into my office, and she grabbed this, this is incredible, 1975, how cool is that, she's going on and on, and Pastor Bravone and I were joking that uh, we'll leave this, you know, the chairs and the desks, but that comes, you know, that's coming with me, so we we're making this big deal about it, we talked about it for five minutes, she puts it back on my desk, and not 10 seconds later, she turned around and hit it with her pocketbook, and it went flying, and we all gasped. We're like, oh, you know, and it was okay, thank God, or we would have had to get a new realtor, of course, not because we would have fired her, but because it may have actually been the end of her. Um, I would have made sure she knew Jesus and then ushered her into his presence, so um, very lovingly, of course. But uh, Dr. Pepper is is my favorite, and, and people ask me why Dr. Pepper, and in my opinion, it's just Better. It's just better than the competition. Every once in a while I'll go with something else. Um, right now I've been loving me some cherry vanilla Pepsi. That's kind of new out there on the market. I've been enjoying that. But I always go back to Dr. Pepper because in my opinion it just simply is better. And today I want to just celebrate the truth that God is better. That all the things that sometimes we get distracted with, all the things that can have our hearts, can have our attention, the things that we can get passionate about in life, God is better than them all. There is a word in the Bible that we don't use too much, at least not in the same way today. There's a word in the Bible, and the word is idol, right? You guys have heard this before, that that sometimes when, when we have things that are more important to us than God, when there are things that we love more, with more passion, when they have greater importance in our life than God, those things are called idols. And so in the Bible, people would take wood or metal or gold or silver And they would make these statues, and they would worship them. They'd bow down to them, literally get down on their hands and feet, and they'd pray to these blocks of wood. Now, in our day, we don't really do that. But I think it's really easy to have some things that we love more than God, right? There are some things, it's it's kind of easy to make more important. We have sort of modern day idols, though we may not like bow down to them. They, They have our hearts and they have our affections and sometimes they have our trust. It's like we look to these things to satisfy us and do all these things deep in our heart that these things just simply can't do and some of these idols are in and of themselves good things like sports and relationships and entertainment and and a great job and salaries and money and and those aren't bad things in and of themselves but when we look to them to be the satisfier of our soul and we look to them as the thing we're going to place the trust of our life in they disappoint right and there are some things in our lives that are bad in and of themselves and yet we still turn to them to try to in some way fulfill us. Today, I don't really want to talk too much about the idols in our lives. I more just want to show you that God's better than them all. I think one of the greatest strategies to overcome our sin struggles and, and give in to some of the idols that we sometimes have in our lives is to just see Jesus clearly, to see God is so much better than all the rest of the things that we have in our lives. And this is so important because Every single day we face this choice. Will I choose God or will I choose something else? Will I try to satisfy the longings of my heart in Jesus or will it be things that are so much less powerful and important? And it's important because, you know what? When we're choosing and we don't choose God, just think about this for a second. If God is better, then when we choose things besides God to fulfill us and satisfy us, If he's better, then what are we choosing? We're choosing what's worse, right? Have you ever thought about it that way? That that God desires a relationship with you. He desires to spend time with you every day. He wants to speak to you. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear the things you're upset about. He wants to hear about the things you're passionate about. He wants to hear the things that thrill you and the things that are destroying you on the inside. God desires that time with you. And sometimes we trade that time with God for other things, which is always worse. I just want you to see today that every time you and I choose Jesus, we choose time with him. We choose to honor him with an aspect of our life. We're choosing what is better. You see, I want you to understand today that when we sin, we deny ourselves what's better and willfully choose what's worse. That's what sin is. That's what having an idol is. It's denying ourselves what's better and choosing what's worse. So today, as we talk about how great God is and how much better he is than our idols, I don't want you to feel like, man, Doug was tough in church today, man. Something went wrong with him. I don't know why he was so angry today. No, I'm not angry. God is passionate for you to really be satisfied, not just kinda satisfied, not pretend satisfied. God wants you to be fulfilled in your heart, and he knows that the answer to that is him. And he's not arrogant or cocky to think so. He just truly knows how great he is in comparison to all the other things that sometimes have our hearts. So my goal today is not to make you feel bad for sinning sometimes, because we all do sometimes. My goal today is not to make you feel bad for having an idol in your life. My goal is to clearly show you how much better God is than all those idols. And I think that's a great strategy to overcome the sin and the struggles in our lives. So today, I just kind of get to get excited about why God is so much better. I don't know if you guys have ever seen an Apple press conference. They come up with a new iPod or a new iPhone or a new computer or like, I don't know what's coming next, like Apple shoes. I don't even know what's coming next, right? But they get all excited and they, they do these press conferences and they get up on the stage and what do they do? They talk about how much better their product is than everybody else's, and why you should want it, and why you should need it, and there's this one guy named Johnny Ives, and he's one of their design guys, and I love this guy, because he's so passionate, and he's so excited, he's got this great Australian accent, and he gets up there, he's like, oh, the iPhone 6 will change your life, you got to get an iPhone 6, and, and then he exaggerates, he says all these things, you're like, come on, man, he's like, it'll give you CPR if you get knocked out unconscious, you know? <laughs> it'll deliver your firstborn if you can't make it to the hospital, you know, you're like, dude, no way, I mean, come on. But today I get to just simply say, here's why God is so much better than our idols. Here's why God is so much better than our sin. I get to talk about the truth without having to exaggerate like Johnny Ives does about how much better God is than our sin and our idols. And I think that's an effective way for us to have our attention set on Jesus and to live the way he's called us to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here today. And you might be thinking to yourself, why would these people choose God? Why would they choose to follow God? You know, here's this guy talking about you know, sin or idols. I don't even know if I believe in any of that stuff. But, but why would I want to choose God? Why would I want to do things his way? And today, I hope to help you see the answer to that. So whether you're a Christian or not here in the room, I hope today you will leave here saying, wow, I can see why God is better than my idols. I can see why God is better. I can see why every time I choose something less than God to satisfy my soul, I'm choosing what's worse so let's look today in Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44 was written by Isaiah in 750 B.C., a really, really long time ago. And you might be thinking, what does something written almost 3,000 years ago have to do with my life today? It has everything to do with it. Because you know what Isaiah does? He does a tremendous job of doing exactly what I want to do today. He helps us see clearly how great God is and really how pathetic our idols are. He helps us see so clearly how much better God is than our idols. And so Isaiah 44, um, he uses some terms I'm going to explain and just make this real clear to you, uh, for you here today. So in verse 1, he says this, But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Okay, a couple things. Let's talk up front here. What is with Jacob and what is with Israel? Well, sometimes when God was talking to the nation of Israel, he would call them Jacob it's like I mean we could go real deep and talk about why and all that but basically just so you know as we go through Isaiah 44 you're going to hear God sometimes say the word Jacob and when he's saying that he's talking to Israel now you're saying why should I care why should I care what God said to Israel almost 3,000 years ago you should care because God when he says hey Israel or hey Jacob he's saying hey you're my people He's he's addressing his people. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, or if you're not, and you're exploring all this, you have the potential to be a follower of Jesus. But when you're a follower of Jesus, then you're God's people. And so what Isaiah says here, I want you to hear it coming at you. When, When it says Israel or Jacob, I want you to think, okay, God's speaking to me, his child, through what's being said here. But let's just start with those last four words. Okay? So he says, Listen, Jacob's servant, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Those last four words are so important. Whom I've chosen. Why is God better than our idols? Because He's He's chosen us. He's chosen you. Have have you ever seen Israel on a map? I know you're all sitting home. Like, oh, I wonder what Israel looks like, right? No one's ever done that. But let's check out this map real quick. Can we just look at Israel here? Israel is the red on this map. I would guess 50% of you can't even see it. Israel is right here. That is the nation of Israel. Now why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because it's tiny and it's insignificant. And you look at Egypt and you look at all these other nations and God chose this tiny little insignificant nation to be his people, not the Roman Empire that would rule the time of Jesus, not any of these bordering nations. He chose tiny, insignificant Israel, and maybe you walked in tonight feeling tiny and insignificant, but God has chosen you. He's chosen to show you his grace. He's chosen to show you his love and his mercy. There's lots of things in my life I haven't been chosen for, okay? little pity party for Doug. Let's go, okay? When I was in my, my, my early teens and even late, like 10, 11, 12, like I was convinced, man, I, like the Mets were going to choose me one day. Like I was going to get the call and I'd be out there, right? Uh, fast forward a little bit more. My teenage years, I was convinced my band was going to get the call from the record label. We were going to be chosen to record all these albums. We were going to go around the world and tour. Uh, fast forward a little more and haven't gotten the call yet. Any of these calls, um, early, early 20s, early to mid-20s, the evidence CD stuff all comes together. I'm waiting for the call from the publishing you know, place. Hey, we want you to write a best-selling book based on the evidence series, and yeah, that, that call hasn't happened. Uh, later into my pastor life, you know, it'd be cool to be asked to speak at like a leadership conference. Yeah, I won't be checking those messages. You know? I don't think that call's coming anytime soon, right? But you know what? That's okay, because I got a better call. Maybe I could feel tiny and insignificant because some things haven't happened in my life that I wish had, but I've been chosen by God. And you know, I, just, I was thinking about this, that this week, and there are four things that I just mentioned that could easily become idols in my life. Sports, music, the pride of writing a book, the fame of being asked to speak somewhere. And just compare those four idols, those four things, to being chosen by God. What are the idols in your life? How do they compare to the fact that God has chosen you? So we've seen already that God is better than our idols because he's chosen us. The next part, verse two, this is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you, do not be afraid. Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So first we see the reminder that God formed us. He created us. Do any of your idols create life? Do they have that ability? Mine don't. None of the things that, are t- that I'm tempted to let steal my heart can create life out of nothing. Let's move on. Another thing we see in this verse is that word that you all looked at down there on the bottom, Jeshurun. As you looked at that verse, uh, you know, maybe you said, well, what is this Jeshurun word? What does that mean? I thought the same thing, and so I looked it up. And do you know what this word means? It's a term of affection that God uses for his people. And you know what it means? The upright ones. Can I ask you a question? If you know anything about Israel and God's relationship with Israel, were they ever upright? Did they ever do anything right? Did they ever live in an upright and holy way? No, they were always making a mess out of everything. Moses leaves them for like a half a day, and they create a huge gold calf idol, right? Uh, they, God sends them out of the Egypt. You know, Egypt splits the, the sea for them, saves them, and then they're like, can we go back to Egypt now? I just split a sea for you. What are you talking about? Can you go back? They're always a mess, yet God in this verse calls them Jeshuan, the upright one. Why? Because God knew Jesus was coming. God knew the cross was coming and that while Israel wasn't perfect, Jesus would make them perfect. Jesus would make them upright. And guys, God calls you and me Jeshuan, the upright one not because of our own actions we really are, but because Jesus has made us upright and holy. I don't know if any of your idols can do that for you, but I haven't found one that can forgive and remove sin. God's better than our idols. Next one, verse three. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. You know when you go out, in the middle of summer, and you go maybe over to a certain part of your lawn or property, and the ground is all cracked and dried up, and you just think, man, I got to get the sprinklers on, or I got to get a hose and water this. Well, well, that's the image that we have here in this verse. Just this ground that's broken and, and cracked and dried up and desperately needs refreshing. And let me, let me just say this. Maybe some of you walked in tonight, and you're like, that's my life. I feel like I'm broken and, and cracked up and dried up, and I desperately need refreshing. Why is God better than your idols? Because he wants to, by his Holy Spirit, refresh you. He wants those spots of your life that just feel dry to be full of life by the Holy Spirit. And so when you and I put our trust in Jesus, he says, hey, let me give you the Holy Spirit to empower you, refresh you, fill you with things that you could never, ever accomplish yourself. Why is God better? than our idols, because they refresh, he refreshes us. Well, let's be real. Um, our idols, um, or even the things we just enjoy, some of them are great, they're fun, they're enjoyable, they're, they're entertaining, or whatever it might be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But can you honestly say, after sitting down on the couch and watching a ball game, I'm just so refreshed. I feel like all the dry, broken areas of my life have been put back together. Now listen, I watched some ball game today, it was great, it was fun, but I didn't get up and go, oh, thank you, Lord, for baseball, You know, I wasn't a different person. It was great. It was a good part of my day. But it's nothing compared to when God Almighty by his Holy Spirit actually refreshes those cracked, broken, dry places in my life. And so God is better than our idols. Verse 4, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. That's some interesting language, right? Never been talking to somebody, been like, hey, what's your five-year plan? Been like, yeah, I just want to spring up like some grass in a meadow, some poplar streams. Yeah, sounds good, right? No one's ever said that. But what is God saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, I want to bless you with life. I mean, that's a picture of life. It's a picture of health, right? Blessing. And life is still hard sometimes as followers of Jesus. I'm not painting this perfect, you know, Bob Ross painting where everything's fine. We have happy clouds. But God wants to bless us with life. He wants life to be rich. You know, once in a while I'm uh, reminded that I should probably sit and just literally count my blessings. Like you heard that saying before, count your blessings, right? Have you ever done it? You ever taken out a pen and a piece of paper and just written down your blessings, the things that are good? I'll do this once in a while. I should do it more often. I should probably do it like once a month at least. But I'll just sit down and I'll start to write. I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. God's blessed me with this. And, and every good thing in my life, and before I know it, I'm running out of paper because God has blessed me so incredibly much. I'll tell you what, if you asked me to sit down and write about one of my idols, how great they are and all the ways they've changed my life, I'd probably maybe get a sentence out. But here, I could write page after page of the way that God has blessed my life because God is better than our idols. Jump down to verse six. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. So God's speaking through Isaiah, and he says these really powerful statements. Let's just talk about them really quickly. I'm Israel's king. Hey, what did I say before? When you see the world Israel, I want you to think you, because now you're God's people, right? So he's your king. You're stressing about college right now? Stressing about finals? Stressing about projects, stressing about how you're going to pay for next semester, stressing about what's going to happen after next semester, stressing about who you're going to marry, stressing about how many kids you're going to have, where you're going to live, how you're going to afford a house, stressing about your job, if if the money's going to be there, stressing about retirement, stressing about paying for your kids' education, stressing about any of that, because there's a king over your life. God Almighty. And you know what? Netflix can't take care of all those details for me. But Jesus can. And music is awesome and I enjoy it, but it cannot micromanage all the stuff in my life that I can't control like my king can. The redeemer, right? We've talked about this before. The one who bought us back, purchased us back when we had no value, but he saw value in us. Next part. It says, the Lord Almighty, nothing too hard from him. Next part, I'm first and last. First and last means God lives outside of time, right? He's timeless. He's ageless. All the things that you and I let steal our heart, like five years from now, we won't even want anymore, right? How, how many things that captured your heart five years ago are you still as excited about today? Outside of God. Here's God saying, Hey, I'm timeless. I'm aged. I don't, I'm not gonna disappoint you. Everything else is gonna break down, even people are gonna let you down. But I am first and am last. Apart from me, there is no God. And so God is better than our idols for all these reasons. Now, here God kind of shifts his tone a little bit. So he was just talking about how he's better than all these different things. And let me just say this God's not cocky, he's not arrogant, he just knows the truth. Right, He knows the truth. He's the best thing for us. He is saying, I want to satisfy you. Don't settle for less. He's saying, I'm the one who can satisfy your heart. Don't-, don't miss out on that. So he's not cocky. He just loves us so much. He wants us to have what's better. He wants us not to choose what's worse. But then he does something interesting here. He begins to call out our idols. He begins to say, okay, idols, if you're so great, why don't you actually do something? Show up. Make a difference in their life. Do something. Come on, what's wrong? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you doing something? Great. This past week, I was chasing my kids around the house trying to get them, you know, simmered down before bedtime. And I'm like chasing them and wrestling with them. And I'm tickling them. And then so uh, I, I got a little tired, you know. And, and I stopped, and, and Kate and Brynn started calling me out on it because they weren't done yet, you know. And so the uh, Kate's like, yo, what's up, Baldy? You know, starts going at me a little bit. And then Bryn. <laughs> Breen goes like this. She goes, you know where I'm from? A man with no hair isn't a man at all. I'm like, oh, all right, all right. <laughs> Calling me out a little bit. And then I look over at Len and my seven-year-old, and he's standing over on the other side of the room, and he's got his hands in his pockets, and he's just kind of staring there with a smirk on his face. I'm like, what's this kid thinking right now? And he goes like this. He goes, yeah, Dad, looking all dumb, preaching with your hands on your pockets. I was like, What? Well, that was way too close to home, man. Ouch. It's like a dagger in the heart. I'm like, how is this seven-year-old? No, I preach with my hands in my pockets, man. I got all insecure. Even Kate and Brent are like, too far, Landon. Ouch. But I tell you what, it worked because they provoked me, and I went after them, especially Landon. But you know what? That's what God's doing here. He's saying, come on. Come on, idols. Do something. Do something. If you're so great, look what he says. Here in this next part, verse seven. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Come on, idols, speak out. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. In other words, he's saying, come on, idols, tell the future. Then God switches gear again. He starts to talk about himself. He says, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock I know, not one. So here's what God's saying in this part. Okay, idols, if you're so great, you should be able to tell the future and then make it happen. God knows they can. not And God not only knows that, but he also knows that he can tell what will happen and then make happen what he said would happen. So God is better than our idols because he knows the future and can make something actually take place. Look at verse 9. And now God stops speaking and Isaiah comments on the idols and those who trust in idols. Verse 9. All who make idols are nothing and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Here's what he just said in those verses. Idols will never deliver on what they promise. And those who trust in them will be ashamed when they fail them. And they most definitely will. That's what he's saying there. Look, those who trust in idols, you're gonna regret trusting in those things. Then Isaiah talks about the fact that mere humans make idols. Great argument. Isaiah's doing some brilliant stuff here. Verse 10, who shapes a god and cast an idol which can profit nothing. People who do that uh, will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. He's going, look, a person made the idol, and then you're gonna worship it? Listen, the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. He's going, do you really want to live for that thing? Do you really want that to have your heart? The guy who made it, gets tired at the end of the day. The guy who made it gets hungry. The guy who made it is weak. How great can the idol be if its creator gets weak and faint? And God is saying, I don't get weak and faint. I don't get tired. I don't need a vacation or a break. So let's just bring this in to 2016 because we don't lay, you know, make these idols and, and bow down to them like they do. But, but just track with me here, okay? So somewhere in the world tomorrow morning, a guy's gonna wake up and he's gonna to go to a factory and he's gonna sit in a room with a bunch of circuits and he's gonna solder a bunch of stuff together. And nearby, another guy's gonna be working on cutting out some glass. And nearby, another guy's gonna be working on putting these tiny little light bulbs in these rectangular frames. And then they're all gonna be put together and they're gonna be sold, devices like this, TVs and computers and phones, all good things in and of themselves, blessings, things that we can have and should have that I have. But how crazy is it then for us to bow down to these things, so to speak? How crazy is it to let these things have our hearts? They were created by some guy in some factory out of some circuits and some lights and some slabs of glass. Some people who are limited, some people who are exhausted at the end of the day. And then there's God who's never tired, never exhausted, never needs a break Then he goes on in verse 13 and makes another brilliant argument. First, he kind of talked about how crazy it is to worship an idol because of who makes it. Now he talks about how crazy it is to worship an idol because of what it's made of. Verse 13, the carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. Listen to this. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down into it. Listen, half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm, I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a God, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my God. So Isaiah is saying, why would you worship something that not only a man made, but is made out of wood. He's going, he, he, he just used that wood to heat up his quesadillas, and now you're making something and bowing down to it with the same wood. Seriously? I guess we could ask the same about the things that we bow down to. Those things that capture our hearts. Those devices, those, those things that are made out of what's going to be garbage someday. I was driving down the road today and this this family had just thrown out all this furniture at the end of the street. They probably loved that at one time. They were so excited about that thing. And now it's just at the end of the road waiting for some garbage man to pick it up tomorrow. He says, how can we worship? How can we bow down and say, save me? Now listen, I would guess none of you ever asked your iPhone to save you. I wonder what Siri would say actually. But I would guess none of you have actually asked that. Don't we sort of expect our phone to save us? Don't we sort of expect our TV, our device, our, our, our relationship? Don't we sort of expect these things by the way that we live and the, and the amount of our heart that we give to them to save us? And how crazy is that? Are we seeing how much better God is than our idols? The last chunk of scripture here ends with a brilliant question that Isaiah asked. Verse 18, They know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say. Listen, half of it is used for fuel. I even bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate it. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Listen to this question Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Is not this idol in my hand a lie? Which I have to ask the same question Is not this thing in my hand a lie? Again, it's great, it's a blessing. Enjoy your phone, your iPod, your whatever. But at the end of the day, isn't it just really a lie? I mean, Johnny Ives does such a great job getting us to believe that when we get this thing in our possession, it's gonna change everything. No offense, Johnny, if you're listening to the podcast, but isn't that true? And we're thinking, man, I got it, I got it. Everything's gonna change now. No, you need more. God's better. Some of us have this hope in our heart that we're gonna sit at a conference table and they're gonna slide a piece of paper across to us like you see in the movies with a, a certain dollar amount written on it. And when we open that paper and we see that figure, we're gonna say to ourselves, now life will be okay. I have the money I need. Now life will be perfect. Isn't that piece of paper in your hand a lie? Hey, enjoy it. If God gives you a blessed opportunity, great pay, then praise God for that, but don't you dare trust it. Don't you dare let it take your heart. Don't you dare ever think, I gotta just get to that dollar number and then I'll be okay. No, God is so much better than that dollar amount. Some of you girls in the room, you're like, he finally asked me to marry him. The ring's on the finger. Now life will be perfect. I don't take this the wrong way. But isn't this ring on my finger a lie if I expect that my wife can satisfy my every need and she becomes my God? Kelly says this all the time. I don't take offense to it. I'm actually thankful that she understands this as she talks with women, as she counsels or preaches. She says, if my hope is in Doug to satisfy me and be to me all that I need, I'm going to be disappointed. It's not because he's a bad guy. It's just he's not Jesus. He's not God. And so don't believe the lie that, oh, man, once I get married, once I get the boyfriend, the girlfriend, once I'm in the relationship, once we have kids, once the kids are gone, (laughs) I don't know, whatever it might be, once all these things, once I get there, then I'll finally be happy and life will be great. No, that's, that's a lie. We need so much more. We need God. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. I love this quote. He said, he proves himself to be God alone against all pretenders. You see, all the idols in our lives that are screaming at us, I will satisfy, I will satisfy, I will fulfill, they're all pretenders. But God proves himself over and over and over again to be God. Against all those fakes and frauds in our lives. All those things that we might cling to. And so, what do I want you to take tonight? What do I want you to understand? I want you to understand why God, why His way, why not sin, why not idols, why not a person, why not my way, why not something made out of metal or wood or whatever it is? Because God is better than our idols. That's what Isaiah is driving at this whole time. God is better than our idols. And I just wonder, if what if this week, when we're tempted to turn to the idol instead of God, hey, enjoy sports, friends, family, your job, all the great paying stuff, wonderful. But if it takes the place of God, then we're choosing what's worse. I just wonder if we stopped and thought about that. Okay, I'm about to deny myself what's better and willfully choose what's worse. No, i got to choose what's better. I'm going to spend time with God. I know I'm tempted to go down this road and look at something I shouldn't or do something I shouldn't. That's worse. That's worse. Why would I ever choose that? Why would I ever want that? I'm going to choose what's better. There's a story told in Greek mythology about a couple of sailors who had to get their ships past an island that had sirens on it. Sirens are these creatures that would sing these beautiful songs and They would draw people in only then to kill them. And so there is this island that these two sailors had to get past. One's name is Ulysses and the other's is Orpheus. And Ulysses is sailing past this island and he tells his crew... Warns him, warns him about the sirens and says, I want you to strap me to the mast. And so they tie him to the mast so that he can't steer the ship to the sirens, but he can still hear their beautiful song. And then he says to all of his, his sailors, I want you to fill your ears with wax so that you can't even hear the song that they're singing and be tempted. And so they're going past the island, and, and here's uh, Ulysses, you know, freaking out, like so drawn and tempted to steer the ship, but he's stuck. He can't, and his sailors can't hear, and so they make it safely past. And, you know, some of us hear a message like this, and we go, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. I'm going to get this willpower rolling, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to settle for what's worse. I'm going to choose what's better. And often we fall short when we try to stuff the wax in our ears, don't we? try to get some of our friends to tie us to the mast, so to speak. But Orpheus had a better plan. You see, Orpheus, as he sailed past the island, he was a gifted musician. And so instead of putting wax in his ears or tying himself to the mast, he played a better song than the sirens sang. And his crew was captivated, not by what the sirens sang, but what he played. The better song drowned out the call of the sirens. And today, here from this stage, I'm singing a better song, so to speak. I'm telling you, God is better. That one of the best strategies to overcoming sin in our life is to just focus on the truth that Jesus is better than all our sins. That we listen to his song over the tune of temptation in this song that our idols sing to us. And so what if this, this week, instead of reaching for idols and reaching for sin and settling for those things in our lives that will just never satisfy we go, wait, God is better. I don't want to choose what's worse. God is better than our idols. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about what that looks like in just a minute? Would you, would you think about that thing that tends to capture your heart? Again, enjoy the blessings God's given you. I'm not saying we all throw our stuff out and become monks and never talk to anybody or enjoy anything again, but I'm saying we get more excited about what's better. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust In him. He died for you on the cross. Doesn't that make him better? Does any idol you have in your life, has any idol ever done that for you? Can any idol remove sin like Jesus can? And so I'd love for you to put your trust in Jesus in just a minute if you'd like to. But I want to close in a little bit of a different way. In just a second, I'm going to ask you guys just to close your eyes, and I want to continue to read the rest, almost the rest of Isaiah 44 to you. And I want to transition from message mode to worship mode. And I want you to hear what God is saying coming directly at you. Would you just close your eyes, and would you listen to what God says through Isaiah in most of the rest of Isaiah 44? He says this Remember these things, Jacob, for you are my servant. Hear this coming from God to you, okay? I've made you. You are my servant. I will not forget you. I've swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed you. He displays his glory in you. This is what the Lord says. Your redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I'm the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. God, I thank you so much that none of our idols can do anything on that list. They all fall short compared to you. God, we thank you and give you praise that there's no one like you. Powerful, Redeemer, King, Lord Almighty, Timeless, First and Last, Satisfier, one who wants to pour out the Holy Spirit to refresh the broken and dry lives. We may have walked in here chosen, no matter how insignificant we may feel. The one who removes our sin like a cloud, like a mist. God, we thank you that you're better than our idols. If you're a Christian, would you spend some time talking with Jesus about your idols? Asking that this week he'd remind you that he's better you're not a follower of Jesus I would love for you to put your trust in him today I would encourage you to pray something like this just quietly between you and God Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me thank you for forgiving my sin thank you for loving me so much thank you for this gift of salvation I put my trust in you God would you show me that you are better in your name